Currently in Jerusalem, Hebrew letters are mysteriously forming, which may be a supernatural display of what many Jewish rabbis, men, and women consider the forbidden name of God. Does this or other names and descriptions of the name of God refer to the individual Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, or perhaps collectively as the one triune God? Join us now as we break down the numerous scriptural references, definitions, and descriptions of the names of the Lord, with the objective being that you will be equipped to know the Lord more intimately as you draw closer to God by knowing His names, according to His Word. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Hello, good day everybody. My name is Mark Russick. You're listening to The Russick Outlook. Thank you very much for joining. So glad to be back here. I was MIA for about a week or so due to the impact of Hurricane Ida out here on the East Coast. Uh, Living here on the North Shore of Long Island, we got hit pretty bad, and those of you in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, you certainly understand what I'm talking about. Although, you know, we didn't have it, I don't want to minimize the impact as it hit land in Louisiana, New Orleans, and as you know, some people I believe are still without power there. So, you know, we had some physical damage here that we've had to get over, but, uh, you know, by and large, uh, you know, just very grateful, uh, you know, in comparison, especially with so many people. I mean, a number of people lost their lives. I think it was over 30 people in the Northeast. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it was a terrible situation, but, um, you know, we're, we're grateful. We're very, very grateful for the Lord, uh, his hand in our lives and in our home, on our home, I should say. Um, on that note, I just very quickly, I know a number of you listen and, and were familiar with the impact of the storm on our home. I just want to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, it meant the world to us and, um, just, just want to say thank you. Uh, The impact of prayer is absolutely working uh, and the Lord is still on the throne. So on that note, let's let's get into this because the title of this is called Draw Closer by Knowing His Names, According to His Word. Uh, The names of the Lord. And and it's so important to know, uh, you know, it's it's like if, if you're talking to somebody or sometimes you're introduced to somebody, you want to know their name. And uh, what we find in Scripture is because there's so many different wonderful attributes of the Lord, there's a lot of different names, a lot of different descriptions. Uh, and, and I believe some things, you know, are, are not always clear. And, and sometimes some things are assumed. So I'm going to do my best to break this down. This will be a two-part series where I'm going to concentrate a lot on the, on the Hebrew and uh, the, some of the translations and the, uh, the Father in particular. But we're going to be covering Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, and, but I'm also going to talk about, I want to jump to something that, that's been happening right now in Israel according to his, that draws reference or draws attention to his name. So we're going to get into that. Uh, before I do, really quickly, if you wouldn't mind, hit the like and the subscribe button that's in front of you uh, on the graphic and ring the bell, whether you're on YouTube or any of the other platforms, on the Russick Outlook itself, on all the different podcast platforms, uh, Google, uh, Spotify, Apple, a whole bunch of others. And, and we're on all the different social media platforms from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So if you could join us on uh, you know Russick Outlook. But share the information if if you think this is worthwhile. You know, if if you think that there is value in this information, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback from you that 
that you are seeing that. So, uh, and please, you know, just subscribe to us if you if, if you're a YouTube watcher or, or, or listener on the podcast platform. So, uh, I, I'd really appreciate it. And then, last, I'm going to close by if you couldn't if you wouldn't mind, join our email list. You can go on Russick Outlook. I ask because there's some uh, special things coming up. Uh, in October and November, we had to put some things on on pause because of the uh, hurricane, because of the impact up here. So we're going to begin doing some live uh, Bible gatherings via Zoom. So please, uh, we're going to be doing two in October, two in November, one in December, uh, first and third Saturdays of the month. And I'd love to have you join. Uh, it's interactive. It's, well, uh, I, I believe there's a video out there describing what it is. So if you go to, uh, you know, a, any of our platforms, you can find out. I, I break down the description. The first one is the uh, the absolute proof of Jesus Christ. But let's get into this. Let's get into drawing closer by knowing his names. Because as I said, there's something very, very special that's happening in Jerusalem right now that points to his name. And I, so I, I wasn't planning on, on uh, putting this in, but I have to, uh, you know, because it's happening right now. It started to, people started to take notice of this in July. This is September, 2021. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. So this points to the Eastern wall. Uh, the Eastern wall is where scripture says that when Jesus returns, he will go through that. That is a closed gate. I'll give you uh, a little bit more of a description in the next slide, but I want to break down what some people are showing that we believe that the name of the Lord is appearing uh, through uh, um, plant growth, and the symbols in Hebrew are taking shape, which refers to what's in the uh, Hebrew pronunciation, yad Hey vav Hey. Uh, some of you might know this as Yahweh uh, and, and as we refer to the Father. So I want to break this down. I'm showing you in video. Uh, and if you're listening on podcast, I'll describe it. But if you can, just or just go online and ask uh, or, or look up the uh, Hebrew uh, lettering uh, for Yahweh. Or as I said, the proper pronunciation is yad Hey vav Hey. And we go, or the Hebrews uh, lettering and pronunciation goes from right to left as opposed to uh, English, where we'll read it from left to right. So if you're following me on video, I'm going to point first to the top where I, it says Yad Hey Vav Hey. And right below that is the eastern wall where these plants, which are uh, called the thorny caper. There's different, couple of different plants that grow on the walls around Jerusalem. There are eight walls or gates that, that surround the the old city, um, and and you'll see this. And if you're familiar with the Western Wall, uh, where a lot of people, you know, you you see that on you know a number of different internet platforms. And I've had the good fortune of of being there several years back. But my point is, you see these throughout. Uh, old Jerusalem. This is not, uh, you know, something very specific or new, I should say. But the plants, people are starting to take notice, and this, they began to see this in July of 2021, that the Hebrew lettering uh, was starting to form on the wall where Jesus will will walk in. So I'm circling this in uh, in different colors in the Hebrew lettering, and then pointing to what people are seeing on the eastern wall. And I will say that the first three letters, Yad, Hey, Vav, 
is very, very clear. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a little skeptical, I'll be honest with you. And uh, people who were going up to it, and particularly uh, Jewish people and Hebrews, very familiar with uh, uh, th- this type of um, uh, lettering. It's really, it's, it's also known as the Tetragrammaton. Um, but you see these plants are taking the shape of the lettering of the name of God on the Eastern Gate. The the last one, the he, the he, the last uh, letter, is still not uh, clear. It's 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 not formed. Let's say it looks like it's beginning to take shape, and this is what people are noticing that the first three of the four letters are have taken shape, and it's pretty clear if you're looking at it. And again, I'm doing you side by side comparisons on video, so you can see exactly what other people are seeing, and and there's no question there. And if that last letter doesn't form, then maybe you can say that this was just coincidence. But it looks like it is starting to take shape. It's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, So this is the most important name of God, because this is who we're talking about. Uh, You know, we're talking about Yahweh, again, as we know it. And, you know, I just want to draw, and, and, and I'll get into this in a little bit, where Moses when, he, you know, the Lord told him and gave him an assignment, and he said, well, you know, really, what is your name? Who, who, should I, who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am, which is really, you know, Yahweh or yad Hey vav Hey. you know, this is an all-consuming God. And uh, so this is, this is what's starting to take shape right now. Um, and, and I will say, too, that the uh, where, where we get the tetragrammaton, it derives from the prefix tetra four, and the gramma, which is letter. So basically, it means four letters. So that's how you get this. This is again how you get the uh, Hebrew letters for this name. And this is considered the forbidden name. So uh, you will see oftentimes that the Hebrews will not pronounce this, or the Jewish people will not pronounce this name. And there are other substitutes that they'll go by, and we'll get into that. Uh, very shortly, but uh, this is the name of the Lord, so it's considered so reverent and so holy that they don't even want to pronounce it. But what I find of particular interest is uh, that this is the Eastern Gate, and I'm going to show you some significance to that in a second. But this is, so you, you know, you kind of equate this to be the name of the Father, but this is where Jesus is going to enter. So again, you know, for me anyway, uh, it, it just reemphasizes the importance or the significance that the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is one, but this is where Jesus will enter, and uh, we'll show this too. And I just, a lot of the people who are starting to recognize this in Jerusalem and in Israel right now, they see this as a sign of Deuteronomy 28.10, uh, where the scripture says, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord and that they shall be afraid of thee. So, you know, if you're not a believer, and if you see the name Yahweh appearing on the eastern gate, and, you know, again, it's not that fourth letter hasn't completely formed yet, that could cause you to tremble. That could cause you to fear that you're entering into the city that the Lord has declared the apple of his eye. Uh, And this is the city that, that Jesus wept over when he was there. And this is also the city where he entered into the Eastern Gate as the king riding on the on the colt or the mule. So let me get into the significance of the Eastern Gate real quickly. Again, I wasn't planning on it because I, I'm going to break down the name, but 
I would be remiss, I think, if I if I didn't just kind of touch on some of the history here and the significance. This is also referred to as the Mercy Gate or the Golden Gate. Uh, and again, this is part of the eight gates or walls surrounding the old city. It is the only one that is closed like this. And the significance of this is, uh, uh, this is again where Jesus appeared. But if you go back to, or if you look at Ezekiel 44, 1 through 2, Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces to the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened and no man shall enter it because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. So very interestingly, this gate is shut and it was shut really because uh, the uh, King uh, Suleiman, um, when the Ottomans took over and they they knew the scriptures that the Messiah would be returning to this gate. So they cut or they closed the gate to try to prevent uh, the prophecy from, from coming to pass, which I find very interesting as though that would really stop the Lord. Um, So uh, this Eastern gate is the, it provides the only entrance from the East. So when this, when Jesus is a Messiah says, I'm coming from the East, it's the only one that he can go. There is no other Eastern gate. Uh, It is also the gate that gives the most direct access to the temple Mount, because remember he's coming from the Mount of Olives, which will be behind and he will be heading right through the Eastern gate. The gate was destroyed in the Roman conquest of Jerusalem uh, around uh, A.D. 70, thus fulfilling Christ's prophecy that no stone will be left on top of another. That's Matthew 24, 2. And, you know, there there are many different uh, um, uh, signs where you can see the actual stones piled one on top of another so that they're not separated. And that is from, from that temple for what's called Herod's Temple. Uh, sometime in the 6th or, se- or the 7th century, the Byzantines rebuilt the Eastern Gate which makes it the oldest gate in the city. In 1969, Jerusalem archaeologist James Fleming confirmed that the ancient gate is located right under the current eastern gate. So they did an excavation, and they actually found the ancient gate directly underneath here. Uh, but And also what was very interesting is while investigating the eastern wall, he fell into a mass burial site, uh, and it clearly saw five large web-shaped stones set into a massive arch. Uh, you can go online, you can see this, you can see pictures of him with the skeletons. So right in front today is a Muslim cemetery. Uh, so these gravestones are, are, are put here. And again, this is supposed to be acting as a deterrent to stop the Messiah from entering in here as though it would. Uh, so I'm giving you some other information to the left on this picture here, but um, in, in around 1540, the, by the Suleiman the Magnificent, again, this is where the Ottoman Empire had taken over, uh, they, they say the reasons are unclear, but it's likely that he was aware of the prophecies. And I've read some other things that they sound pretty clear that this was his way of uh, trying to prevent this. Um, but I, I would say that little did they know they were actually fulfilling the prophecy that I just read from Ezekiel, which was over 2,100 years ago. So here he's trying to stop the prophecy of the Messiah, but in, in reality, he's fulfilling the prophecy that, that the Lord gave to Ezekiel that this gate would be shut. And this is where the name of the Lord is appearing. 
So, you know, I, I again, I, I would be remiss if I didn't touch upon this. We're going to get into, uh, you know, some of the more specifics of things right now. But, you know, this is modern events. This is this is happening right now as, as I speak. So let's shift gears just a little bit. Let's go to the beginning. In the beginning, what's uh, if you look in the scripture, it's it's called Elohim or the name Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Most people, their translations and the King James, I believe, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So in the beginning. Um, but what's interesting, too, is if you go to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But the Hebrew would be in the beginning was the word and the word was with Elohim and the word was Elohim. Uh, Genesis 1, 2, now shifting to the right. Uh, now the earth was unformed and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim hovered over the face of the waters. So what I'm and then on the bottom, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and lived among us. So this is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This, so Elohim, the spirit of Elohim. Uh, I'm going to break down some of the uh, plural uh, definitions of this. But this is all referring to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and these are your three scriptures. So everything that I say is always going to be synonymous, but yet the, are, we are talking about three distinct entities, three distinct, what I said, believe, personalities in my prayer time. You know, I've experienced what I, what I think is, is a clear difference between Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, but yet they are one. So here you have the spirit of uh, Elohim and the mention of Elohim, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, let's, let's go back to the beginning, because as I said, in the beginning, for centuries, uh, pe people just did not know the name of God. And, and if you think about uh, Moses, when he wrote Genesis, you know, we're talking about a couple thousand years after Adam's birth. So... There, there was, there was no name that you could draw to. Uh, when God walked with Adam and Eve, it wasn't necessary for them to know the name because He knew them intimately. He walked with them. He communed with them. Uh, they did not need to call upon Him in prayer. He was their daily companion. This is again, this is before sin. So you're just, it, it, this is just a matter of fact. Uh, when they disobeyed Him and they were driven out of the garden, this forced them to be make a living uh, by the sweat of their brow and the labor of their hands. Uh, they and their descendants began offering sacrifices to him and calling upon him in prayer. So it was after sin that they needed to call upon him, pray to him, and eventually to know his name. Um, Genesis 4.26 says, It was not until the birth of Adam's grandson Enos that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, and Seth was 105 years old when his son Enos was born. So for over 200 years, despite the fall of man, men and women did not still find it necessary to call upon the name of, of God because they were always aware of his presence. So I think that's very significant to set the stage that we do not see or become familiar with his name as documented by Moses in Genesis until a couple of hundred years after Adam was born. Um, but, but then, you know, you, if you consider how long it was from Adam to Moses, then, you know, then, then you've got another couple of thousand years. So I just wanted to kind of point that out and set the stage. So Elohim, 
It is the masculine form of El. Lexically, this word has several meanings of Scripture. It means God or gods. It also refers to Yahweh. You know what we what we said before, uh, Yad Hey Vav Hey. Uh, Elohim refers to Yahweh in Scripture. For example, Yahweh is the reverent uh, referent in Genesis one one where Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Yahweh is also the referent in Elohim. In Psalm 42 through 83, they are also called or referred to as the Elohistic uh, Psalms. Um, Other places in Scripture use Elohim as different uh, meanings. For example, Exodus, Elohim refers to the gods of Egypt. There you have plural again. Uh, Exodus 12, 12 and 18, 11. Another occurrence of the word is in Joshua 24, 20 and 23. Both cases, the writer uses Elohim in reference to foreign gods. So it's not, you know, when you hear Elohim, what I'm trying to point out here is it's by definition. It's not always necessarily the name of God, but it's the description of gods, plural. So hence the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Elohim can also be used to refer to the or allude to angels or other heavenly beings. The Hebrew phrase used in these translations, uh, Elim or Beni, literally is sons of God. So we've talked about this many times in the past. Uh, the sons of God refer to angels or fallen angels too. Uh, this can be translated several ways. So in Psalm 29.1, the phrase is translated heavenly beings or sons of the mighty or angels of the mighty, if you will. Uh, Job 1.6 says this phrase is translated to the sons of God or the angels of God. Uh, Psalm 115.1, give glory for the sake of your steadfast, uh, steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is all referring to your name, to getting to the name of the Lord. So I just, you know, trying to draw these descriptions where, uh, um, yeah, the, the descriptions of not only the personal name of the Lord, but the meaning of the name. So we're going to break this down further because you're going to see... Um, a, a, a clear theme in Elohim, Yahweh, or I am that I am, as I said before, which is what he told uh, Moses to, to tell the people, Adonai and Jehovah. So we're going to, the, the, these are all linked together, and I'm going to break this down. Why? Because, you know, there's so many people will look at it dis- individually and distinctly, and I understand that, but I, there, there's a common thread that I, 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 I want to bring out here. So again, if you're following me, I'm going to go on, on video. I'm going to go to the right for a second here. Uh, there, there is no other name like Yahweh or, or again, yad heh vav in, in Hebrew. Um, the Jewish scribes who copied the manuscripts of the Bible felt the name was so holy that they would not pronounce it. They wrote it without the vowels because it was to never be spoken out loud. So this is very interesting. There was, they did not want to include the vowels because they thought it was too reverent. So, you, so these, you only have the consonants. So whenever you find the name of the Lord written in small capitals like the King James, it represents the, na- the name that God revealed to Moses. The Bible first records this in Genesis 2.4. Moses knew this intriguing name of God. Perhaps he used it to record the very earliest history of the human race. We don't know that for sure. Uh, But what clues do we have concerning the meaning of this name? The Hebrew manuscripts tell us that the consonants of the names were Yahweh. That's it. That's all we know. These are the consonants because nothing else has been passed down. 
We don't know for sure what the vowels were to be inserted in that word. We could have pronounced it Yowa or Yawa or several other ways. So it's possible that there are vowels that, you know, I'm inserting something to give you an example, but we don't know. We simply do not know what those initial vowels were because in the transcriptions, they would not include it. Uh, Bishop Clement of Alexandria wrote in the third century AD that the name was pronounced Yawa. I, I don't know if I'm even saying that right. Yawa, I should say. Y-A-O-W-E-H. Uh, Theodret of uh, Cyprus a century later said that the Samaritans pronounced it Yabe. Third century manuscripts found in Egypt confirmed the pronunciation. Based on such information, scholars have come to assume that the name of God was pronounced Yahweh. So that would be Y-A-H-W-E-H. But these are assumptions. All we know is that those four letters are the four consonants. If the Jews thought this name was too holy to pronounce, what did they do when they read the scriptures out loud? Did they just skip the name of God? This is what they did. Now, this is why I said you're going to see this thread coming in. They took the vowels from the Hebrew name Adonai, or Lord. So whenever you see Adonai in Scripture, it means Lord. And they inserted that into the name of Yahweh to make Yehoah. This is pronounced Jehovah, or, you know, English pronunciation. Uh, typically, I'm in America, so I, you know, you always hear Jehovah. Uh, but I know some people who try to get it more phonetically correct with Hebrew, and they will say Yahoah. Uh, for the for the sake of this example, moving forward, I'm going to say Jehovah. So I think most people would know, uh, you know, what I mean. So what they did was they combined the Hebrew names of God and Lord uh, to to you know to to bring this together. So Lord God can be translated as Jehovah Elohim. So you're combining the consonants and the vowels here. So Jehovah is an, a, an older English representation of the proper name of the God of Israel. The influence of the King James Version on the language and the influence of Christianity in Western culture resulted in the pronunciation Jehovah, which is considered the acceptable name uh, in, in, in English or the King James Version of the Bible. So God gave Moses a name for himself. He said that thus shall say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. That's Exodus 3.14. The Hebrew word Yahweh that God gave him is a puzzle even to scholars today. It has no clear-cut, simple translation. The closest translation that we have to Yahweh is I am that I am. Because that's who God, that's who uh, the Lord gave, gave to Moses to tell his people who sent you, I am that I am, or Yahweh. So again, this is why I'm drawing these, um, I'm trying to thread this together for Yahweh, uh, Elohim, I am that I am, Adonai, and Jehovah, because it's, it, it's a common thread. We're joining the vowels and the consonants to get to his name. So let me summarize this if I can. I hope, I, I really hope I've been clear that um, th there are some open answers here that we simply may not know uh, until we come and see the Lord. So Elohim is the first reference in the Bible. It is in the beginning Elohim or God, Genesis 1.1. We covered that right in the beginning. 
Adonai is plural for Edom, which means majesty, my lords, Adonai, my lord. It appears 450 times in the Bible. The early Jews took the vowels from this name and inserted these letters into the consonants of Yahweh, which was the name revealed to Moses. So, you know, just reiterating what I, what I said earlier. This is the account of, so Genesis 2.4. I'm going to read it to you if, if, if you think about what I just laid out. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when Adonai, which is the vowels, or Yahweh, which is the consonants, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Yahweh contains the Hebrew consonants of his name only. The early Hebrew manuscripts reveal only the consonants. This appears in Genesis 2.4. You take the vowels of Adonai plus the consonants of Yahweh, and it results in Yahoah or Jehovah. So this is how you get Jehovah. You've taken the vowels of Adonai and the consonants of Yahweh. So Jehovah thus is the result of combining Adonai's vowels with Yahweh's consonants, which ultimately means Lord God. So I, I'm showing you a couple of other things here in, in uh, on the video. I am Jehovah, that is my name. Elohim, God, Adonai, Lord, Master, Psalm 16.2. And I, I am that I am. And Yahweh, another definition is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. So these are descriptions given. So, you know, to break it down, we do not know today what the official name was that was given and initially penned uh, by, by Moses in the Torah, in, 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 in the book of Genesis to begin with. So hopefully that's clear. I wanted to just kind of break that out because... I have so much more to get to, but not, you know, today. But I do have some other things I want to cover in the Old Testament. So the Jehovah in the English translations, and, and these are different attributes of the Lord. And, you know, I, I recognize that many of you are familiar with these different names, but I'm going to break down the definitions. So we have, and I'm going to stick to Jehovah, that pronunciation. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. And and to be honest with you, uh, you know, it, that's been my part of my prayer is, you know, we've been dealing with the repercussions of the storm here. Uh, you know, I, I've been confessing and praying to Jehovah Jireh, my my Lord, my God, or, you know, Jehovah Jireh, if you want. But he is my provider. That's the bottom line. Uh, then there's Jehovah Tiskanu, uh, the Lord, our righteousness. And I'm giving you the, the different scriptures to to show you here. Jeremiah 33, 16 and 23, 6. Uh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner in Exodus 17, 15. Uh, Jehovah Mekadesh, he is the one who sanctifies us. Uh, this begins with our salvation. It continues daily as we live with him. Uh, we see its fulfillment every day. Uh, many from people familiar with Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of Peace. Again, as we were dealing with the problems here in the Northeast, the peace of God was with us. Not that, you know, we didn't in the flesh kind of freak out a bit with a lot of things we were seeing. Uh, but bottom line is the Lord God, we had the peace that passes all understanding. And this is, you know, one of the things that I'll just side note real quickly I feel for people who are going through some of the calamities that we've seen up and down in this country with the storms and certainly not taking anything away from other areas of the world, what were the travesties in Afghanistan, the earthquake in Haiti. But imagine if you don't know the Lord, or maybe you're listening and you don't know the Lord, 
you, you know, by having that relationship with you, you know, he, he will take care of you. He will provide for you. He will give you that peace. Uh, let me go to Jehovah Rach, which is he is our shepherd. We see this in Psalm 23. Uh, Jehovah Shammah, uh, that is the Christian translation, meaning Jehovah is there. And we see that, uh, which is the name given in the city in Ezekiel's vision, uh, uh, Ezekiel 48.35. But Jehovah Shammah, the, Jehovah is there. God is there. He's there with you. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, or uh, that means uh, he has the power to heal you. So a lot of times people are dealing with sickness. They're dealing with uh, some type of affliction or they're praying for others and they call upon this name because these are the names in Scripture. These are the names that we can refer to. We, it's a reminder. God says to remind you of his word. And when you're praying for people or yourself or family members or loved ones or you know whoever, to call upon Jehovah Rapha, meaning you are the God who heals. Um, then there's Jehovah Tassabath, which is the God of battles. And I wanted to give you a couple of uh, different scriptures here because I think it's important. Uh, this is cited 282 times in the Word. Isaiah 31.5, Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield and deliver it. He will pass over it and rescue it. Why is he rescuing it? He's rescuing it from battle. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. The Lord, you know, the 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 the, the Lord, you know, He, all everything has been created and started by Him. It's, uh, you know, I will say that you've got a temporary license, if you will, with Satan, uh, with the fall of man, but that the Lord has overcome and that we have overcome because of the blood of the Lamb. And then finally, uh, Revelation 19:14. the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses clothed in linen, uh, white and clean, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that which he should smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, O King of kings and Lord of lords. So this is where, you know, the ultimate end game, the battle at the end of the seven-year tribulation, uh, and, and this is the God of battles, the God of victory. You know, the, oftentimes you pray, you pray, you know, that the battle is the Lord's, but the, uh, the victory is ours. So, you know, these are the different translations and bro- that are broken down in the meanings of the different uh, um, descriptions of Jehovah uh, and, and those attributes that are assigned with it. And I give you on video um, a little montage, and you can probably find, you know, some other artwork like this of the different names and exactly what these names uh, mean. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's a great reminder to keep in front of you, if, if not for anything else. So the names of God in the Old Testament, El Elyon. So I want to kind of break down the El. Uh, the Hebrew word El means God. It is the singular form of God, Elohim. This sometimes appears as a compound with other names, El. El is the primary form of a common grouping of names for the deity in Semitic languages, commonly taken to the strong one and one of the most frequent terms for a god. So I'm going to give you six different terms of El that are broken down in the Old Testament. El Elyon, it means the most high. And again, I'm giving you the scriptures here on video if you want to look them up. And this is in Genesis. El Shaddai. Uh, you know, you often hear that, and that means, you know, Lord God Almighty. El Bethel refers to the altar of Jacob in Genesis thirty-one, thirteen, and thirty-five, seven. 
Then you have El Roy, the God who sees me. El Elohe Israel, the mighty God of Israel. And El Olam, the eternal God. So I'm going to break this down a little bit more for you. But I just wanted to stop for a second. So this is kind of the, the definitive masculine term. And I've got a number of Hispanic Friend, very close friends that uh, are part of our, our our local group that we do a lot of these Bible gatherings and you know church gatherings, and uh, you know I while we were going through some of this, this was some time back, and uh, you know I know that the Spanish would would refer to this as single you know like el gigante like a giant like that, uh, so it's strong, it's definitive, it's it's again it's masculine, uh, but these are the names of 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 the Lord that are given in the Old Testament. So let me break this down. El Shaddai. Oh, let me go to El Bethel first. It literally means the God of Bethel. This is a name that Jacob gave to the place where he built the altar to God, Genesis 35, 6 through 7. El Shaddai. The origin is uncertain, but it is used with a title for God, especially in the book of Job 13.3. Its original meaning is debated, but it is often translated as Almighty. It is sometimes combined with El or God in the compound name, which is how we get El Shaddai. El Elohe Israel, uh, the God of Israel. It is the name found only in Genesis 33.19 through 20, where it is apl- applied to an altar that was, was erected by Jacob at Shechem. Then we have El Elyon, the Supreme God, or the Most High. This is referred to 40 different times in the Old Testament, first appearing in Genesis 14. Uh, 318 household servants routed the mightiest nations of the day. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. He blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be, be Abraham by the God the Most High creator of heaven and earth, and praise be the God, the Most High, who delivered you into his hands. So you would also be translating this as, blessed be God, uh, El Elyon, the Most High, or praise be to El Elyon. So these are the uh, the Hebrew translations of what we see today. So when you see that, the God Most High, it is also referring to El Elyon. Then El Roy means the, that's the name that Hagar gives to God in, in, in Genesis 16, 13. I'm going to say this because I think it is important because sometimes, you know, we give people names. You may give somebody a nickname, somebody which could be an attribute to them. Uh, you know, you could call them speedy or fast or strong or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but there's no other character in the Old Testament, male or female, that confers a name onto a, de- a deity. In Genesis 16:13, after God promises Hagar a son, she gives God a name. The text states she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her with, who spoke with her El Roy. It is common in the Bible for people to give names to family members, to animals, to sacred sites, but humans don't normally give names to God. But in this instance, this is where Hagar gave the name to God, and I find that pretty significant. I you know, and and this is clearly an assumption on my part where I would think that he would be touched by that. Uh, that you know, I, I wanted to point that out. Then, uh, and I, I think, oh gosh, it was some time back, I can't remember who, but somebody was saying to me too that they had a name that they gave God in prayer. And it was, you know, private between the two of them. So, you know, that may be something that you might want to do, but do it with his blessing. 
uh, El Olam means everlasting God, supernatural being. This name teaches us that God created time, yet it exists outside of and beyond it. Before the creation of the universe, there was God and with no beginning and no end. All things we know of change through time, yet our Father never does. The Lord never changed. This is before time as we know it. Uh, this means the character of God, his word, his kingdom, all he stands for, it never changes. Uh, you know, the, the, the scripture says Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. That means we have an unceasing, dependable, trustworthy, consistent God. He has eternity in view for you. So when you think of him, think of eternity. Psalm 91, 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place for all generations. Even from everlasting to end of everlasting, you are God El Olam. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is what I just had uh, uh, earlier cited. Genesis 21, 33, then Abraham planted a Tamaris tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord the everlasting. So this is El Olam, the everlasting God. So these are all the different L's. We covered Jehovah, we covered uh, Yahweh, uh, and, and the Hebrew pronunciation of yad heh vav um, And th these are all things that you can kind of, well, mostly of what I would be drawn to with the Father, with descriptions of the Father, although it certainly includes Son and Spirit in that. And in our next presentation, um, we're, we're going to really break down uh, the names of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the authority of the name of Jesus. But also we're going to go back and look at the Old Testament descriptions of the coming Messiah, of what they described would be the attributes and the names of the Messiah coming forward. So there's, there's a lot of back and forth that we're going to join. It's going to be powerful. We're going to get into the names of Holy Spirit. A lot of people don't know that Holy Spirit has names. Holy Spirit has descriptions. So we're going to cover that in the next section. So hopefully this uh, th this helped you. It was a blessing. Uh, I, I and, and I'm encouraged by what I see is happening now in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm, it's not there yet. That fourth letter is informed, but it sure looks like it might be on its way. And boy, what a powerful statement that will be when the people see the name uh, of the Lord written on the eastern gate of Jerusalem. Praise God. Um, so at any rate, uh, any questions, comments, always, you know, just shoot me an email, russicoutlook at gmail.com. If you have any prayer requests, I'm happy to take that. And most importantly, if you do not know the Lord, please take the time to say, Jesus, I recognize that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and make me Lord, make you Lord and Savior of my life. It's that simple. So if you don't know the Lord uh, and you're not comfortable with that prayer yet, ask him to make himself available to you. I promise you he will. Find a good Bible church, reach out to friends, uh, or, or shoot me an email wherever you are, and I'll, I'll try to find or uh, network with people who might be in your area to help out. Uh, again, just email russicoutlook at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook, and remember... As always, just my opinion.